Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? All righty, all righty, all righty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TSOB, the sex set of Black folk featuring me, Dr. G. I am, as always, super excited that y'all have chosen to listen to another episode. And I'm even more excited about the group of people that is here today. Usually, y'all know I speak to one person or maybe two at the most. But um, when I was imagining this conversation, I could not decide between the three people who are here, who I wanted to have be here. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just invite them all. And so um, I'm excited for all three of them to be here. I am talking about none other than Drs. Candace Hargens and Dr. Shamika Thorpe and soon to be Dr. Gabrielle Evans. And so as usual, I'm gonna read each of their bios and then I'm gonna invite them to chat and we're just gonna have a wonderful conversation. So. I'll get started with uh, Dr. Candace Hargens, who is an award-winning associate professor of counseling psychology at the University of Kentucky. She studies sexual wellness and healing racial trauma, all with a love ethic. Oh, that makes my heart smile. She is a licensed psychologist, providing individual and couple sex therapy. She's also the founding director of the Center for Healing Racial Trauma, and she just finished with myself and Dr. Thorpe and um, so many other folks, uh, the big sex study, which I'm super excited about, and at some point we're going to talk about today as well. So Dr. Hargens is here, and we'll get with her in just a second. Next, we have Gabrielle Evans, who is a sexuality educator and researcher and co-founder of the Minority Sex Report, an award-winning platform whose mission is to provide representation in sexuality education. That Minority Sex Report also addresses barriers to achieving optimal sexual health for communities of color, as well as intersectional inequalities faced by Black and Native communities. Gabrielle has taught comprehensive sexuality education for over five years, facilitating programs for faith-based organizations, providers, and Native American adolescents. Gabrielle is also a doctoral student at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston, pursuing her PhD in health promotion and behavioral sciences. Her research focuses on reducing sexual health disparities among Native American populations and analyzing the impact of historical and present traumas on Native sexual health. As a sexuality educator and researcher, Gabrielle hopes to expand research on Native sexual well-being. So thank you, Gabrielle, for being here. And of course, last but not least, Dr. Shamika Thorpe is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Kentucky. She uh, obtained her PhD in community health education from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Her research focuses on the sexual well-being of Black women utilizing sex-positive and intimate justice frameworks. Understanding the importance of translating research into practice, Dr. Thorpe co-founded with Gabrielle the Minority Sex Report, which we already explained what that was, so go make sure you look that up. And she currently serves on the editorial board for the American Journal of Sexuality Education and the Journal of Counseling Sexology and Sexual Wellness. 
Her research has been published in national and international peer review journals. So got a powerhouse group here. Again, you can see why I was like, all three, we're going to all talk. And it'll be great. So without further ado, thank you, ladies, so much for being on TSOB with me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> and so um, y'all heard these are academic folks like myself. We don't have a whole lot of time, so we're not going to marinate too much on the mic. I'm going to jump in with the first question. So whoever wants to jump in, like, please feel free. The first question that I ask all my guests, though, is where are you from? Where are your people from? And what's got you thinking about sexuality these days? I'm happy to jump in. So Okay, perfect. Let's go, from... Dr. Hargan. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'm originally from Lockport, New York, which is a small town outside of Niagara Falls. But I've lived in New York, in Virginia, in Georgia before I turned 18. So all up and down the eastern seaboard. Wow. And uh, my people are from that area on the parent side and then on the grandparents side we're from good old Alabama. So yes. <laughs> yes. As you know, the great migration. So there we there we go with that. And what's got me thinking about sexuality to your point that you made earlier in the introductions, the big sex study. So we have collected our first round of data and are entering the second phase of data collection and I can't wait to continue analyzing it, reading transcripts, analyzing coding. Like I just love reading and talking with black people about sex. So Yes, 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 yes. Yo you will hear that we are all in our own way big nerds about like sex, sexual science. Big nerd so energy. We really about to get nerdy <laughs> in this conversation and I'm ready for it. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Hargens, for kicking us off. Um, I can go. So this is Shamika. Um, so for me, my family is from North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina, born and raised. Uh, my mom is from Raleigh. My dad's side of the family is from Apex, North Carolina. However, I was raised in Wendell, which is a small town outside of Raleigh. Um, definitely, I've been working with, uh, you know, Candace on some some big sex study stuff, but also what's got me thinking about sex right now too, is that I learned yesterday that it was bisexuality month, like bi yes. pride month. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, I made a post about myths about bisexuality the other day and just seeing how black women are reacting to it is making me happy. Ooh, yay, yay, yay. I thought you were gonna say the way they're acting is making you concerned. I was like, oh, well we finna dig no. into that too, but okay, great. <laughs> That's great. We're getting good, good vibes. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, so I am also from North Carolina, um, even smaller than Wendell. I am from Hollister, North Carolina. Um, it's about an hour or so outside of Raleigh. We don't even have stoplights. That's how small it is. Wow. Um, my whole family is from there. Um, they're still there. Um, so born and raised. Everybody's in Hollister, North Carolina. And right now, um, I'm starting to get into dissertation work, which is exciting. So I'm thinking about... Um, impact of trauma on sexual health and sexual pleasure. I'm looking at trauma-informed education in, in a native lens. And also, um, there's a lot of stuff happening in Texas right now. Um, so yeah, big facts. Um, just becoming more aware of where I can possibly do advocacy work around um, abortion health care services mm-hmm. individually, and also menstrual health equity has been um on my mind a lot lately, so trying to get into those a little bit more. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And yes, right, we we would be remiss not to mention um, the battle that's going on in Texas. Well, the mess that's going on in Texas related to uh, mm-hmm. reproductive health and reproductive rights, reproductive justice, if you will. And so um, Texas is going to Texas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Texas is gonna Texas, um, but I, and unfortunately, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But I know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I know there's a lot of states who are probably on some hold my beer type stuff. So I'm sure, yes. unfortunately, mm-hmm. this is probably not the last that we're gonna hear. But um, if you are not aware of what's going on in the areas of abortion rights and abortion access, uh, you are strongly encouraged to do the work of finding out more of that information. Um, last week's episode, y'all heard I talked to Dr. Rena Dixon, and she talked about some of the challenges of doing abortion support work in the South. And so um, definitely, and and we also talked about how there's all the, we don't know all the reasons that motivate someone to get an abortion. And so recognizing that in many ways, this is not a political issue, it's a health issue. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's very important for us to be mindful of what the collective good is around your health, regardless of how you feel morally about abortion. So, um, So me and my colleagues did this study on psychologists' knowledge and uh, awareness about abortion and abortion rights. And it was abysmal, like maybe answering 68% of the questions right. And so a lot of us who are healthcare providers don't know enough. And that informs the way we do or do not advocate for these reproductive health rights, so. That's a good point, that's a good point. Oh, and I love that you brought in the science, right? Because one of the, so um, y'all will see this episode is called Evidence-Based Sex Ed um, because I'm really, interested in if you folks who are sex educators who've been in this work they're familiar with the term evidence-based for all you lay folks you might be like what is evidence-based what are we even talking about but it's important to think about two different ways two on two different levels when we think about the work of being a sexuality practitioner so if you're an educator you're a counselor you're a therapist you're um a body worker in all the ways right one of the things that's kind of been lifted up in our profession is this idea of doing work that's backed by science, particularly when it can be uncomfortable for folks um, to be getting into these areas. You want people who are knowledgeable, who are scholarly, who can um, give informed, like move in informed ways. And at the same time, in certain parts of our work, we have started to see that evidence-based can be a lot of things and may not necessarily represent what the needs of the community are. So um, we're going to really sit and kind of talk through research and kind of talk about what that looks like when it works for communities and what that looks like when it's not so helpful. Um, Before we get into that, I definitely want to hear from y'all, how did you get into this work, particularly thinking of your social locations um, as women of color, as just women in America, like what got you to do this sort of work? So we started with Dr. Hargens, we're gonna actually go back the other way. So Gabrielle, why don't you start? All right, so it's kind of twofold for me. So I, when I first went to undergrad, I got thrown into a human sexuality class um, and I was introduced to a lot of topics, including kink, never heard of it in my life, you know, small town, coming from a small town, I was like, wow, what is this? Um, So between human sexuality and personal health, that kind of threw me into sex ed. And I was like, okay, I want to learn more about this. Um, Well, and I've been pretty open about this on my social media, but um, in undergrad, I also found out I had herpes. So Mm. um, I, that's what really got me into sex ed. Um, I just wanted to do more education around it and reducing the stigma. 
Um, and now just realizing that there's not a lot of representation of Native peoples in sexual health um, outside of pregnancy prevention, STI prevention, and sexual assault. Um, so just trying to change that narrative so it's um, just a more positive focus. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I always say that um, sex ed found me in some ways, right? Like I didn't go out searching for the sex ed or to be a sex educator. Um, So actually when I graduated from UNCG, um, I started working at a nonprofit doing teen pregnancy prevention. So I kind of started out as a case manager for teen moms and they were like, you know what? We got this grant. We think you'll be good at sex ed. I'm like, how y'all know? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Right. What what, what was it about me? What? What are you thinking? (laughs) Me? Yeah, Uh like, okay, I mean, maybe y'all see something, but it sounds good. Um, So, you know, (laughs) after going to several, like, professional development trainings and, you know, workshops, I definitely um, became more intrigued by sexuality education. And so kind of stepping away from the teen pregnancy prevention realm, I started doing more uh, sexual health programming with college students. And so that's always so interesting to make that jump from, middle schoolers to college students, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. they have the same amount of knowledge and then sometimes, <laughs> right? And then, and then sometimes, you know, you have the capacity to explore more things such as like kink, you know, that Gabrielle brought up. So um, definitely, a, definitely sex ed found me. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's like that. <laughs> Dr. Harkin. I'm on the other side because I found it. <laughs> I was probably eight or nine reading Encyclopedia Britannica and they were talking about like puberty and what happens to your body and reproduction and I was like this is a good section right here when am I gonna get boobs you know I just (laughs) the science of it all the science from the jump like I was but it was also not the science because grandfathers be having a black plastic bag of VHS tapes Mm. that are porn and I was like what is let us all find out together being a bad influence so <laughs> so opening the door opening the door opening the floodgates so those were my early like inquiries my curiosities into sex and what sex is and what reproductive health is and how they go together and then I was always the the kid in in high school giving other people sex ed, like telling them, no, you know, actually that's not okay. Or this is the way you use the condom or this is what you need to think about as it relates to pleasure. And so being a fast girl and being interested in sex early and being aware of my own self as a sexual being and emerging as a sexual being early, I was able to be more informed about what, my peers needed to look for, but I didn't think it was a career until maybe I was in my master's program or something like that. Mm-hmm, hmm I love that when people uh, clarify, because I, I, I don't think it's, well, I'm seeing it's not a universal story, but at least in the profession, I feel like about 85% of the folks I talk to, when they talk about their origin story, that at some point it includes being the fast tail girl that everybody ran to, to get information from. Uh, when I was talking to Dr. Dixon, she talked about being the plug for the condoms. Everybody knew to go to that person. And so <laughs> sometimes it can be real funny when that, or, and fun when that's part of the journey. Okay, so I, so we're definitely going to get into kind of the specific uh, areas of your focus. Before we get into that, though, I want to bring up. So y'all, when I was first bringing this group together, I was like, hey, you know, this is the podcast. This is what we're doing. You know, I'd love to have y'all come and talk about your research. And um, 
I the big thing that I got from from future Dr. Evans was uh, so you gonna be talking about Native people or no? And <clears throat> I was very excited about that idea because I like I don't spend my time thinking about communities outside of my own, and yet I've always been intrigued by the ways that. Um, the stories of black folks in this country and the, the stories related to sexuality interla- interlink and intersect with those of native communities. And so I would love to have you talk, Gabrielle, about why you were so clear what or, and what your understanding is, particularly as someone, uh, someone who is native. Like, what is it that you feel like folks don't know enough about in terms of the sexuality and the sexual experiences that go on in native communities. And why were you like, listen, this is what we doing. Like, what does it mean to you to be someone from that experience doing this work? Oh, there's, there's a couple of things. I think one thing people don't realize um, is that the exoticism of native women in particular is what contributes to these disparities, um, particularly Mm -hmm. sexual assault and violence against native women. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you people wearing these Pocahontas costumes or, you know, we don't dress like that on a regular, like we don't wear that. Um, and even, Mm -hmm. um, just thinking about how native culture is not a monolith. So it varies from culture, from region, from tribe, you know, um, speaking to North Carolina tribes, there's eight tribes in North Carolina and we're all different. Um, Mm -hmm. so what works in one tribe might not work in another. So just making sure that people are aware that it's not a blanket thing that you can do for sex ed and you might have to alter it according to whatever population or tribe you're working with within a native community. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that. I think um, sometimes I often get the sense that the experiences of native folks kind of are an afterthought for folks. Like I know now there's a big conversation that folks are having about land acknowledgements with classes, especially at the university level of like making land acknowledgements. And to me, um, on some level, it seems like that makes sense. And then on another level, it's kind of like, well, what does that really have to do with the lived experience of Native folks who are like going about their lives on a regular basis? And what does it mean to be like, oh, we're standing on this land and people are doing it in a way that suggests that Native folks aren't here anymore and they're not still living and thriving and breathing. And um, I want to continue to sit with this and like, I w- I'm I don't want to be that person who's like, I just want to learn, but I'm definitely going to, <laughs> we're definitely going to spend some time kind of um, interweaving those thoughts in there. Um, before we do that, though, Candace and Shamika, I know you all too specifically focus your research on black communities, right? Like you don't do general sex, popu- sex population research like some of our other mainstream researchers. And I'd love to hear from the both of you kind of why you are intentional about centering your research in that way. So whoever wants to go first. Yeah, I can go. I think for me, I just got sick of reading white people tell my story, right? Like um, reading research articles and often seeing who's the leader of those articles and not being written in a way that was passionate or from a loving space or that is um, something that is, I don't know, feels culturally relevant, right? Like my mom could pick this up and read it and be like, okay, like I like the way they wrote about me. Um, And so I think that's really why I'm passionate about doing research with black women Um, You know, just to make sure that I'm also creating a space for their voices to be heard um, in my research. And so that's really important um, because I think sometimes there's often research teams that do not look like me that are doing research. And 
Um, I think those narratives would be told differently if it was from my, someone like myself. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree with that. And I have a typical but not exclusive focus on black people. So there may come a time where I focus on people who aren't black, but it's always going to be with a critical lens about how mm-hmm. the experience of whoever else I study intersects with the experience of people who are racially or ethnically marginalized. But to the point that Dr. Thorpe was making, I'm tired of the HIV, STI, unplanned pregnancy, yes. deficit, medical, like you gonna get sick and die or harm someone narratives. And yes. I'm not gonna discount the utility of that research, but the over-reliance on that for funding mechanisms, the over-reliance on that for publication credibility and things like that, it's frustrating because that's not even half of the picture. Like pleasure is the picture for me and good sex mm-hmm. and joy and all of the things that invite people into a, a sexual experience, the narratives, the messaging, the communication, all of that. Um, even sexual functioning, we don't talk about enough among black people. Like, you know, our mm-hmm. patterns of arousal and like a desire, orgasm, like that's so infrequently reported and discussed in the literature. I was just like, ugh. Like, mm-hmm. I saw my dissertation study was on sexual health among black men of Caribbean, heterosexual black men of Caribbean descent. And it was about sexual health broadly defined, not just um, like preventing disease. And so when I introduced to the participants that I was working with the World Health Organization's definition in the psychus or psychus list, I forget, psychus list. Yes. So they could see all of the behaviors of a sexual healthy person. They were like, I never thought about emotions. I never thought mm. about the good stuff. He was like, because all you hear is condoms and all you hear is this, you know. And so I was like, see, yeah. the participants, when we do research that is that is myopic, that is singularly focused, then the dissemination of that research turns into sex ed that is only prevention based or only based on like don't cause anybody harm and don't get harmed and so i was like oh no we got to do this differently yes yes i was gonna say to kind of go off of both of their points you know um i've had to tell people yes pregnancy to outsiders pregnancy might seem like an issue among native communities but whether this mom is 15 or whether she's 45 Either way, this baby is a blessing. It's new life. So outside looking in, it might seem like a problem to you. And you might wonder why they celebrate in, especially a teen mom having a baby. But again, it's a new life and it's a blessing. And to Shamika's point, um, you know, it has been very frustrating with, for me, having to validate my identity as a Native woman and why I want to do research on my own communities. But other people can do research on my communities. Mm. And get paid. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Granted, there is some good research, but it makes it harder for me as a Native woman. Mm, yes. Okay, so y'all already. Oh, ooh, 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 I'm excited. I feel like we double dutching. I'm like, wait to jump in, even though I can't double dutch. But um, I can't either. Oh, my gosh. Listen, that's a whole other conversation for, for black girls who cannot double dutch mm-hmm. and struggle with cornrows. That's, that's going to be my next podcast because <laughs> both of those are me. I can definitely cornrow though. Um, But one, there's two things that jumped in my head. One, I was thinking of the point you raised, Dr. Hargens, about the um, HIV pregnancy narrative, which we all are familiar with. Um, And I'm reminded of how very rarely, I think maybe out of 
everyone I've interviewed so far this year, one or two folks might have not come through this work through originally teaching about pregnancy or HIV. The vast majority of, and I would say black folks and folks of color doing this work, that's often the window that they get to get in because for our communities, that seems to be the only window that folks are willing to pay and give resources to and undergird the work that they're doing. And so, um, I'm mindful of that because I was the same person where I came through this really interested in adolescent development. I cared about pregnancy. I cared about HIV and STIs, but that's not something that I want to ground my work in. And that was a struggle trying to figure out, okay, well, when do we get to talk about the rest of the stuff, right? Because that's not, that's not what's keeping me uh, struggling in my sexuality. That's not what's keeping these young people struggling in their sexuality, dealing with their emotions and managing the emotional, um, the emotional expressions or the emotional issues that they're dealing with in relationships, that's part of their sexual development that's not being addressed. Um, dealing with their sexual orientation and gender identity, that's part of the challenges. And so um, that's popping in my head. And then I think this whole conversation gets us back to this idea of evidence-based sex ed, right? And and kind of what are what some of the challenges. And so I wanna, I say all that to bring up the point or bring up the question of when we think about this idea of evidence-based sex ed, where do you think folks might be getting it right? And where are the parts that you're like, this is absolutely not it, and this is why, and this is what we need to be doing differently? I don't think people are outside of communities are understanding what questions are important. And so when you're not a part of a community and you think, oh, that makes me more objective, what it makes you is less connected. And so you miss what the questions are that are most relevant to the community. So we have a problem at the evidence-based level with what questions even get asked, mm -hmm. what proposals even go out, what proposals even get funded. And then, so say you conduct a study and you are able to collect all of this wonderful data and you have all of the statistics and you have qualitative data, all of that, right? The problem comes into interpretation like Shamika was talking about. How are you interpreting these results? Whose lens, mm -hmm. whose epistemology do you use to interpret these results? And if you have interpreted these outside of the lived experience of Native women or Black women or anybody from communities that you don't belong to without relationships at a bare minimum without relationships you've missed mm -hmm. it like you've missed it you can't you can't make those interpretations but people do it all the time and it sticks mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely um i think like i think about the what is your intention when you're going in to even do research with the community, right? And thinking mm -hmm. about how very often we don't even question the fact that the vast majority of us are even trained to go in with the intention of looking at the sexuality of communities of color mm -hmm. through a deficit lens, through a lens of, mm -hmm. of problematizing and finding something to be fixed. Yeah. And we don't do that in the same way with, with white communities or, or white upper class communities. We recognize there may be some similarities in terms of lower income white communities Although even that you wouldn't, you don't often see the same level of research because they're not seen as much of a problem as communities mm -hmm. of color. Yeah, I think um, one thing that really pops up for me is like evidence-based curriculums for adolescents and how, you know, they're for all, right? Like me and Gabrielle talk about that all the time. It's like this intervention works for all, all of who? Like, because you can't like... <laughs> I mean, like, right. yes, we saw some results, right? Like, maybe teen <laughs> pregnancy rates went down. Maybe people used contraceptives. But what it's, 
it's not culturally informed and that's a problem for me like when we see curriculums that are for all and then most of the time it's often hard for black people to get funding to do evidence-based curriculums or to develop evidence-based curriculums and so that's where we see another issue right there's plenty of people that have great workshops and there's plenty of people that have developed great curriculums but when it becomes the time to make it evidence-based based on whoever's standards then there's a larger issue and it kind of just blocks us out of that um, and so there's a lot of things that a lot of workshops and education that black people don't have access to because there's these walls up because funders tell you you have to use if you're a nonprofit, funders will tell you you have to use something that's evidence-based and most of those curriculums mm-hmm. are for all and if they're not mm-hmm. for all and they're tailored specifically for black women oftentimes those curriculums haven't been updated since it was developed so that's another issue mm-hmm. within itself is that yeah that might have worked in the 90s or the early 2000s but we're in 2021 so we don't know if that still works now right hey <laughs> if we can be clear because i always now that i've started to do the retrospect and think of my own life i was like i was actually the young person in the 90s i think i was part of the test group for a lot of these curricula mm-hmm. right and i think even that even when we look at let's say it is a kids of color curricula right very often it's focused on a very specific community of black young people that are going through very unique things that are related literally even to their neighborhood and so then it's sent out to Mm -hmm. oh we're going to send it out to the midwest we're going to send it out to the south we're going to send it out to the west coast where there's completely different contexts and completely different realities and yes there's some similarities but very often it's not um but it seems to be we have this industry of like we need to make it that and i think that can be kind of a not good benefit or cha- and challenge of science that we want to try to make something that has universal applicability or and applicability scalable. and, and scalable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not, that's not really how sex ed works. And so I just want to offer that point in there. Cause I'm like, I don't even think some of the stuff that I've seen that that was supposed to be effective. I'm like, I don't know that I, my 12 year old self would have resonated with this. <laughs> it still would have been a challenge. <laughs> Videos. So trash. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Like none of us talk like this. Right. Like, why is this? Right. We don't have trains in my neighborhood. What are you talking about? The subway? Who's getting on the subway? You don't sound this way. Yeah. You know, and, and so when you're that young, you know when people who have no connection to you yes. created something, and you're just like, oh yep. wow. And all you do is talk about it and laugh at yep. it. Yeah, yeah. You do not it. take it seriously. You find the easiest way to tune out. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, so I, this has me thinking about my next question I want to ask you all thinking about the specific ways that you've rooted yourself in this research and your specific intentions in this work what would you say is your sex ed superpower Um, and it could be a research related one or it can be a practitioner related one what do you feel like is your unique niche um, in this in this work and we'll let Dr. Thorpe go first since she hasn't gone first in any of the questions (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think for me, I just, so I, in the fall, I did a study on sexual pain and sexual pleasure and um, just, you know, sexual anxiety too. And so among black women living in the South, and I remember doing interviews with black women and surveys. So we had like over 290 people that did a survey, which was phenomenal. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, 25 interviews. And I just remember and most of the interviews that I did, black women saying that this is the first time I've talked about mm-hmm. this, or 
I've never had an opportunity to talk about my sexual pain with anyone or like their sexual anxiety. And so I think for me is my my superpower is making black women who are having sexual difficulties feel seen mm-hmm. because I think and oftentimes they're they're not and there's a lot of shame that comes along with that Mm -hmm. and so just having a space for them to be heard and be seen and you know to process what they've been going through i love that i love that yeah i think for me it would be so i love like working in the community so now this whole COVID thing is just driving me crazy because i love going to the as much Mm. of an introvert as i am i love going to the community health fairs i love going to the festivals i love being out in the parking lot like i love it um so i think Mm -hmm. being able to adapt from that research or academia side to the community and being able to resonate um you know even as a lay person and talk to people you know even when i was at my previous job before i came back to school i worked with um men who had sex with men and after a while, once they got used to seeing a woman in the clinic and working with them, they were surprised that I knew some of the terminology um, in the community. So mm-hmm. being able to adapt and just having that community aspect and building that relationship, I really think is part of my superpower. Mm, love that. I love that. Yes. I think my superpower is that I employ a hot girl science paradigm that comes from having a hot girl science <laughs> yes. past. I'm retired now, <laughs> but <laughs> and so you know you gotta break that Listen, down. We had um, let me tell you something. Yes, yes, yes. We had Dr. Um, Clarissa Francis on here, whose whole her whole work is in hot girl science as well. So I would love for you to break down what that is to you in terms of embodying and breaking that down. Mm-hmm. And and I will say before we leave, all, everybody will share their Instagram. Much of what they're talking about, you can find it on their Instagram accounts. Which as someone who has a horrible time staying on social media on a regular basis. I, I marvel at, but um, we're going to have them break it down here so you know what you're looking at when you go to find them on Instagram and stalk them. So go ahead, Dr. Hargens. Uh, for me, the the hot girl paradigm was before Meg the Stallion, right? We had Fair. cash money. Yes. You know, we had. Look, look, I said, honestly, I said this. <laughs> Because yeah, I'm realizing I'm I'm much older than a lot of the folk, a lot of y'all that I admire. I'm like, oh shoot, honestly, spice and uh, hoes with attitude and uh, bitches with problems. Like these these girls in the '90s were the ones who actually walked so that the Megans and the Cardis could fly. So <laughs> you know, so they could run. Like I needed to be established, and then going even from Millie Jackson crawled. So <laughs> look, we, can, we can go back, right? <laughs> And, and that is also my personal lived yes. lineage. So I come from a yes. legacy. Yes. <laughs> they wouldn't want to be named that way, but I'm going to go ahead and name it. You know what I mean? A legacy of yes. hot girls. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, you know, I make light of it because I think it's important to have the joy, which is a yes. part of that hot girl paradigm, right? To, to laugh, to say, I partied. I had fun. I had good dick. Like, I enjoyed I say, my yes. life. <laughs> come on. And... And had all the sex that I wanted to have. And so that experiential component was also yeah. evidence. That's an evidence base from yes. which I draw when I think about what questions to ask, when I can approach people with humility and no judgment. Because I'm like, mm, so what else? What kind of kinky thing? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. That's what I might want to add to my list. But it feel, I think it diffuses some of that shame and discomfort because a lot of people 
put it out there in the media, in religion, in, in messaging, in sex ed, that is like sex negative sex ed, that if you are or were a hot girl, then you are not going to make it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to live. You're not going to thrive professionally, Absolutely. personally. And here I am. You know what I mean? Right. And so I like to name that for folks. And then when I when I study things, it comes out of that lived experience. All right, so what do I understand about attachment disorder or attachment profiles mm-hmm. as a function of my lived experience? What do I understand about how people really negotiate consent yes. non-verbally yes. as opposed to verbally most of the time? What do I understand about the preference for non-verbal consent practices mm-hmm. or what causes, what what facilitates joy and what doesn't lube and what doesn't doesn't work? And all of those things, right, come from first a lived experience and then a scientific paradigm that's shaped by that lived experience. Hip-hop music, all of these things that I came up on, the Little Kims and all of that, like that for me is my superpower because I can draw on all of that when I'm writing research questions. I can draw on all of that when I'm doing a sex therapy intervention, especially if I'm thinking about working with black women who is primarily who I would see in sex therapy. And so I bring a reference up to Gabrielle's point about something that our generation would understand as it relates to sex. And they're like, oh, okay then, all right, we can talk about this. Yes, yes it's on the table. Yes, so yeah, I, yes. Like, I like that. Oh my gosh. One time I was in <laughs> clinic and I told the participant, I was like, listen, you could take this uh, internal condom, take the ring out and pop it in for anal. He was like, you know about this? <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I am here to give you tips and tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and Dr. Harlan mentioned right. the religious aspect. Jesus saves lives and so does sex ed. So I'm like, we can do both. Actual we'll facts. <laughs> Actual facts. Yes. I love that too because I think this is what I was thinking of earlier when we were kind of uh, talking about the critique of of uh, older interventions and like the, the evidence-based things. It's like so much of this is kind of like not even it's so antiseptic not some of it is not even really fitting what people actually do with their bodies and i've said this before and i'll probably repeat it a lot that's what happens when you get older and that's okay is Mm -hmm. um even something as simple as the condom lineup it's like who is having sex like this who is using condoms like this right and I, i remember being a condom lady and having a student be like so listen um my girl, she puts her mouth on me. I mean, uh, she put, yeah, she puts her mouth on me and then I stick it inside of her. So what do I do with this condom? And it was like, so if we follow how this student is naturally having sex, that would mean they need to put on one condom that is a flavored condom specifically for this oral act. And then they take that off and put on a, nobody's having sex like that. So then how do we, you know, so being able as an educator, as a practitioner to understand those nuances and have genuine, realistic conversations with people is so, so such an important part of the work that we do that a lot of folks and particularly folks who are not folks of color don't often want to do that, that legwork. They don't want to do that extra research. It's just like, make sure you're using these. And then if you don't, we'll just shame you later, but just make sure you're using these. That's the whole point. And that also assumes that people are engaging in penetrative sex. Yes. So that's a whole awesome. different like sexual identity issue, mm-hmm. right? Like this is what we're going to focus on is penetrative sex and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, and we're going to focus on condom lineups and we're just only going to focus on external condoms. Yes. Like, and we put loop inside so that, the condom and that's it. Not right. on the outside. Right. Yeah. No. Or if we even talk about right. it. So. Right. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, that's definitely a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, 
I try to make this show um, more focused on our communities. So I feel like we've done enough in terms of talking about the stuff that white folks get wrong. What I love to do now is think through intraculturally, right, in our various communities where we feel like folks of color can be doing better. So thinking about Native folks and thinking about Black folks in terms of the, the ways that we can be, or we can either be doing better with each other or experiencing opportunities to grow. So when you mm-hmm. think through that, what might be some things that come up for you in terms of like, you know what, we could stand to have a better experience here or do better in our understanding of this or work better in terms of our relationship in this regard. I want to jump in on that with heterosexism. We can stop endorsing that, you know, and thinking that it's going to save us from something. Mm. Um, We can stop endorsing, like, really scripted gender roles that were imposed on us, that never served us, that aren't culturally congruent, never have been. We We can think through what messages we disseminate in religious channels, and how those show up in shameful and harmful ways and then excuse the behavior of people who are doing actual harm like with sexual violence and assault and molestation and incest um so we can think about power more inclusively and differently more intersectionally and we can think about what the impact of systemic and interpersonal racism really means for how we show up sexually, like how we take power back, how we use power to liberate, how we endorse what eroticism really can do for us. And I think we can do a better job in our media. And I love ratchet media, like music and all of that stuff. But I think that we don't have enough diversity in the messages of our media and so we can do way better with that Mm -hmm. okay i know other folks are going to speak up but but dr hargens right for the folks who are listening and they're like well what does the science tell us about this is this even science right what does the science tell us about say heterosexuality and heterosexism and and sexual diversity what was what does the science tell us about that is it really just media making our kids gay or is there something (laughs) People been along the spectrum of sexuality since humans. Right. Like, and I think the science, pseudoscience had painted a picture of a dichotomy or like a, like a, what is a it binary. called? Binary. Not a dichotomy. Binary. Like a, um, a binary. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Pseudoscience painted that picture because people like things to look simple, but that's never been the case. So mm-hmm. real science, like actual evidence, evolution, like people, right. human, human experience, tell us that it's a full spectrum and that there are parts of the spectrum we don't even know yet. Right. And so we don't, and we don't have names for it yet. Mm-hmm. So I think just on that stance. Mm-hmm. So yes, tell all your hotel cousins that they don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> that the science does not bear up on them. To go yes. off of that, you know, native culture Gabrielle. prior to uh, colonization and all this Western ways, like there were five, minimum five genders that were recognized. Like there was no binary and Mm. two spirit Mm. people were very highly regarded in native culture. Um, So I think I would love for, for more tribes and cultures and just native people in general to recognize that. Um, I know in some areas like the Pacific Northwest, there are uh, two spirit powwows and two spirit organizations. um, And I wish at least in the South, I wish that, you know, we had those and letting people, you know, when it comes to 
ceremonial dances, not putting it in a binary group and making people choose, or even allowing somebody who presents as female to dance in the male male areas of dance, the different styles. Um, so definitely getting back to, you know, not this heteronormative thing. Um, it would be a big part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, before you jump in, Dr. Thorpe, I would like to rewind just a little bit, Gabrielle, um, and think through because you've, you've already talked about how your work is centered in helping folks understand trauma and the ways that... Um, I might be putting words in your mouth if I'm not, if they're not correct, spit them back out. But I'm also sounding, it's sounding like you're also looking at kind of the effects of colonization on the sexuality of Native folks. And so I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about what has, what do you see as having been the effect of, of white folks coming here and colonizing Native communities in terms of. So definitely um, historically looking at it, the forced sterilization and unethical sterilization sterilization of native women and girls which was girls as young as 15 being sterilized um Mm -hmm. and basically white people didn't want us here anymore so they said this is what we're going to do um they literally tried to erase Mm -hmm. our culture um so that still has an impact today on reproductive health care and medical mistrust people going to providers in general and presently looking at um, the impact of the missing and murdered indigenous women's movement, uh, which now encompasses uh, trans and two-spirit individuals. Um, But, you know, native women Mm -hmm. are 10 times more likely to be murdered than any other race. So just existing as a native woman like puts me at risk. Um, So just looking at how, you know, Mm -hmm. that impacts sexual health and how sexual assault and domestic violence are just really high in Native communities. Majority of the time, nine times out of 10, is non-Native perpetrators who are taking away our Native uh, women and girls. So still Mm -hmm. trying Mm -hmm. to erase Native culture, but in a different way, Um, which again is now why Mm -hmm. going back to, you know, the pregnancy, the teen pregnancy prevention thing, like there's a quote, um, she was at the water, one of the water protector camps, but it was a, a woman who's, who was quoted saying that having babies is an act of our resistance because we're not supposed to be here. Um, so looking mm-hmm. at all of that right now mm-hmm. in my research is, is where I am. I love that. I love that. Uh, just that quote of like being resistance. I think that's so powerful because I think like what I'm hearing is the overlap in communities in both of these communities in terms of like asserting that right to live and that right to thrive and saying that if, if, if my living, if my being out expressing myself in terms of my life, not just expressing myself like, Hey y'all. Um, but if that is a problem, it is only a problem because of the context in which I am in and not by virtue of me, um, owning my autonomy to speak my truth, to live out loud, to live in the ways that I want to live. And I think that's really, really powerful. Shamika, what do you think? Yeah. So when you initially asked the question, I was like, ooh, religion. So the fact that <laughs> Candace said, like, the fact that Candace was like, and religion. And I was like, yes, because black people be religious. <laughs> it has like a hold on us, right? Uh-huh. Like it has, Native it has yes, right. Like it has this hold, especially being, um, you know, in the South, I think one thing that I see is that a lot of times people feel like they can't explore their sexuality 
because of their religion or they feel like they have to be, become married to a man like research has even shown this like I have to marry a man as a woman even though I know that I might be attracted to other women mm -hmm. right like there's research on that mm -hmm. and the effects of that you know a religion affects how much someone thinks they're worthy of pleasure and if they expect sex to be pleasurable mm -hmm. or if they're just supposed to please their partner because of the shame that comes with that right and then I know I was having a conversation like I think two weeks ago about how more churches need to be open to sexuality educators and therapists within the church. Um, and part of that reason is I know a lot of times before couples get married, they have to go to like couples counseling with the pastor or whoever. Okay, that's fine. But then when you have a, a problem and say it's a problem as far as like sex and, and the intimacy issue, then who are you going to go to? Your pastor, right? And they haven't prepared you with those resources or saying like, hey, you know, maybe you should see a sex therapist because sex is taboo. Right. right? We can't talk about that. Pastors don't even know that sex therapists are a thing most of the time. Exactly. So that's, that's problematic within itself because how are you going to counsel somebody on their relationship if sex and intimacy is a part of it? Right. Um, and then another thing that I've even seen when I was growing up is like the shame that comes with being a teen parent, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're preaching Ooh, abstinence yes. every Sunday. You're saying don't have sex. Sometimes, so me and Gabrielle have had the opportunity to actually do like community health fairs within churches and give out condoms. And sometimes we get weird stares from older people, but that's fine. <laughs> um, but we give out condoms and lube and, you know, myths and facts and, you know, mm -hmm. so it's fun. But one thing that we see is that like when people get pregnant and come back to church, it's like, oh, well, did you see such and such child? They're pregnant now. But you didn't set them up. Right. You set them up for failure. And so I think we need to really examine the ways that religion has a hold on us and how it's actually hindering us from having positive sexual experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I told... I taught sex ed in my home church and I let them know, I was like, I'm not doing abstinence only because we need to be realistic. And even now when people hear that I've taught sex ed in the church, I'm like, I laugh at their faces, I mean, at their facial expressions because mm -hmm. it's just so funny. Um, but recently in Dallas, there was a study um, where they did focus groups with a church um, in sexual health. And one of the researchers was saying, sharing her experience of her being a teen mom and how she was embarrassed in front of the whole church. And I was like, we need to do this study like throughout the whole Bible Belt. Because I do remember at one point a church that I attended, they used to acknowledge the new babies that had been born every month. And one Sunday afterwards, the the pastor stood up and said, I have to apologize because I acknowledged a baby that was born out of wedlock. And although they did not call that person's name, everybody knew. And I just felt so bad. Yeah. And the question is, to me in my mind is, so how did this help anybody? Did this help anyone, right? Like even, even if someone was convicted in their shame and, you know, or whatever, right? The baby's here. Like how did this help anyone to, to go pacify the people who had an issue with it. That's see, it and it's like so. Then they feel better, and then what? Like, th like even if see now that's will get a little too slippery and getting into the discussions of religion. But um, I, I love that y'all bring up religion. I'm of the mindset that like honestly, when we talk about religion, we have to talk about white supremacy when we think of where we got a lot of our religious mm -hmm. faith from. 
and what we're using religion to escape. What we think yes. religion provides us that we're escaping, like through respectability politics as a vehicle. I love that. I, I love, yes, yes, I love, because I, I think we don't have enough of a conversation about what is it that we are what is it that we've gotten from religion that may actually be like a double-edged sword, right? So I think I, I was going to say, I acknowledge that religion, having faith, right, has been what has helped keep folks of color throughout our history. Like being able to go, you have to have faith because otherwise, <laughs> what's the point of the stuff that we've been through? And at the same time, I think we're, I believe we're at a place now where we could, I, I try to avoid using should, but we could start to examine, is this, the only thing that we can have faith in. And is this the, has this expression of faith been the best for our community? Recognizing in some cases it may not be, even for the folks who are not affected by systems of oppression, right? The cisgender heterosexual folks, has this worked? Like, has this really worked for you to have this specific kind of faith? And what might be some other models, right? Can we have faith in therapy? Can we have faith in community? Like, in serving each other and faith in, you know, queer theology, which is a whole other conversation. But <laughs> but I think it's so important to ask those questions. Y'all have raised some really, really important things for folks to think about. Um, dang it, I felt, I forgot where I was going. But while I think through where I was going, Gabrielle Shemek in particular, I, I would love for you to share with people kind of how you came to the Minority Sex Report and why y'all decided to do that as an initiative in the world. Yeah, um, so... Growing up in North Carolina, our sex ed was definitely taught by our gym teachers. Um, my gym teacher was a white man that was bl like blushing the entire week he had to teach sex ed, right? Bless yeah, his poor heart. thing. Um, so, so, and I know Gabrielle had a similar experience. And so, what we wanted to do. I had an old yeah, white woman. Yeah. So, what we wanted to do <laughs> is to make sure that, you know, um, black, black people and Native American people had the space to see themselves and to be taught by people that look like them and to give back in, into our communities because we're both from, from very rural cities um, or towns. And so, making sure that, you know, people had access to the things that they needed, whether it be condoms, lube, testing, whatever, because we didn't have that growing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And y'all say you saying that actually helped me figure out what my next question was. <laughs> so so we we so when we we've already critiqued evidence-based sex ed, right? And we recognize that it's not necessarily the fact of having evidence that's the problem. It's the ways in which evidence is wielded to be oppressive to our communities. So with that in mind, I would love for you all to share Imagine like if you were creating an evidence-based sex ed curriculum based on what you know to be actual beneficial science, what might be two or three topics that you would make sure get covered, you know, or learning objectives that you would have in mind with that curriculum? Whoever wants to go. I mean, we're doing this right now, and I'm sure Minority Sex Report has already created the curriculum that they use. The yes. curriculum that they use. Okay, is this like trainings. a exclusive, <laughs> exclusive go. details, y'all? I mean, we've been we've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> I love but, it. I love you know, it. in talking about sexual pleasure, the things you like, the things you don't like, the things you might be interested, in, depending on the context. Um, mm -hmm. Talking about pleasure worthiness and how like you're inherently worthy. So dismantling all these myths of who is uniquely worthy of sex and sexual pleasure and who isn't abject bodies like thinking about who we can't cancel or call out 
side of the like spectrum of worthy of sexual pleasure and then like an anti-racist lens so always thinking through like what did you hear that was unique to your experience as a black person as a black woman about sex like what were the messages you got that we need to specifically attend to here we were doing this in a um, group for black women who are survivors of sexual assault we're going to be doing this with a group of young moms this year too yeah i love that i love that any other topics y'all would add gabriella i think i would just add uh, definitely the messaging so i think you know addressing some of the messagings and stereotypes that black women receive I think also addressing norms around sexual pain. So since most of my work is focusing now on sexual pain, kind of like where we get messages that normalize pain and, you know, how do we, Mm -hmm. how do we talk about like when we should go to the doctor or when you should talk to your partner and things like that. Yeah. That before you jump in, Gabrielle, I was thinking of um, a student I had. And that was another thing I think, too, the assumption is when we talk specifically about pain, that it's just adults. I remember having a student who was like 16 years old in my office saying, I'm having trouble. I want to have sex with my boyfriend and I cannot open and I don't know what to do. And clear, you know, my clinical mind, I'm clear like, oh, you may be dealing with like vaginismus, but I'm not equipped because... I'm not supposed to be telling you how to make it more pleasurable. I'm supposed to be telling you how to stop it. Um, but we're ha- having that space to say, well, this is a sign that you need to go and talk to someone. And this is something that can be a sexual health issue outside of a potential pregnancy or an STI. So definitely, definitely. Gabrielle, you were going to respond? Yeah, I was just going to say um, definitely the piece that Dr. Hargan mentioned about um, what messages you received. Um, There is a lot of curricula now. Um, Shout out to Healthy Native Youth um, for doing a lot of of curricula that is tied to culture. Um, So that's really exciting to see that because I didn't know about that growing up, Um, even until like I got into sex ed. Um, So they're definitely doing work of tying in culture. Um, So, yeah, just, you know, messages that have been received um, about what, you know, Messages that I've gotten or that the participants have gotten um, about themselves as Native women or Native adolescents. I love that. I love that. See, so y'all listening, you trying to build a curriculum. First mm-hmm. off, you need to hire these folks. But also thinking of top, like this is how we reform the curriculum, right? This is how we create things that are useful and relevant. Think about what is actually um, discussed, what is actually prioritized in the community and be able to speak to that. Um, so we're getting re- we're almost get- nearing the end of our conversation, but I would love before you go, Dr. Higgins, can you just share where folks can find you on social media? I'm going to you can find me at Dr. Candace Nicole, C-A-N-D-I-C-E Nicole on IG and on Facebook. And you can find me at Dr. Nicole You can also find us at the Center for Healing Racial Trauma dot com. Oh, yes. And we didn't get to talk about that. But thank you so much for being on with us, Dr. Hargens. Enjoy the rest of your day. Y'all take good care. Um, Okay, so let's say, you know, there's someone listening and they're like, you know what? These ladies are, you know, they're speaking such truth. This makes sense to me. This is resonant for me. But I don't really know, like... Like, I'm not a sex educator, right? I don't know how to, you know, have these conversations. I don't know how to do this work. I don't even know in my community somebody who's equipped to do this. How do I begin to create more sexually empowered life, to have more sexually empowered family? What what advice would y'all give them in terms of getting started on their journey? 
my advice is always to read, but I'm also a bibliophile. So I'm like, read, you know? <laughs> um, so whether that be audio books or, you know, actually a, I'm a physical book person, so I need that. But I also know like the benefit of audio books and abilities. Um, and so I think reading really helps with that as you're thinking about, you know, what the, I guess, kind of undoing some of those messages that we're talking about earlier and undoing some of that shame or learning different ways to, you know, explore your sexuality. Um, and I think two books I always recommend are um, Pussy Prayers and Please by Black Girl yes. Bliss. I think, and Pleasure Activism. Uh, those yes. are three books that I always recommend people to get started with. Um, and I think another thing is just like joining, I mean, we're in a social media world. So reaching out to people via social media or joining, maybe there might be different groups on Facebook. Um, that you can join. So, you know, just exploring what your options are and what you hope to do. Awesome. Awesome. I think she covered it all. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. And Dr. Hargens had to get out of here, so we can't hear her answers, but um, I know she would have amazing stuff. Um, and also just following her on social media and learning what she has to offer is also, I'm sure that would be helpful. Um, so before we get to my closing I have rapid fire questions that I ask everybody so we'll close out with that but before we get to that I would love for the both of you to share kind of thinking about just how our society is changing and it just seems like we're at this really pregnant time in society for new things to be happening um, I would love for you to talk about what you feel like either is your role in this work your significance to this work or your legacy in this work what you'd like that to be um, so either one of you can talk about just kind of with all the things going on in the world, what do you feel like your unique impact is, is what would you like it to be or what do you feel like it is um, mm -hmm. at this time? I think for me, I've, I have always wanted my legacy to be like someone 25 years from now, uh, like, a you know, a black woman 25 years from now that says, you know what, I want to do research on sexual pleasure among black people. And she doesn't have to justify it because other black people have already done it. Yes. Um, and so that's what's important to me. It's kind of like paving the way so that when other people come behind me, they don't have to struggle the way that I did, you know. And, and Candace is one of those people that paved that way for me. So I think that's why I'm just like continuing that. So I don't want people who come behind me to have to justify why they want to study pleasure or why they want to study black women. Um, and I think right now we're in a space where, um, you know, I think one of the funding mechanisms, I think it was maybe NIH, so the National Institutes of Health, even released like the importance of looking at functioning and sexual functioning. And since a lot of my work right now is focusing on sexual functioning, it's kind of taking that shift, right? Like we're not just focusing on HIV and STI um, prevention and teen pregnancy, but we're, we're focusing on like sexual difficulties and, you know, maybe yeah. some of these sexual health disorders that people may be diagnosed with. Um, and so I think it's just a, a time to make sure black women are centered in that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Gabrielle. I think for me, it's providing that representation because for so long I didn't see myself represented in this work and granted there's been people doing this for a while but there you know it might be on another part of the country or you know I remember going to the National Sex Ed Conference for the first time and seeing on the program 
about a native sexual health curricula and I could have jumped out of my seat the whole time I sat in that presentation. Like I was just so excited to see my culture and myself represented in a program. So definitely provide it, continue to provide it representation. Um, but also, you know, I'm the first person in my family to go into higher education, to go to college in general. I'm the first person, the only person in my community that's a sexuality educator and working in sexual health and research. So providing that for my community and, you know, other people from North Carolina who didn't have that, like I didn't have it growing mm-hmm. up. Yes. And just letting them know, like, it's not taboo when we can talk about it and it's okay. Yes, 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 yes. I'm I'm like, woo, feeling chills. <laughs> I love that. And I, I will that. say, you know, kind of like a driving force, um, next week, so September 7th, we'll make nine years ago that my childhood best friend was taken away from us. So I have been personally impacted by the missing and murdered Indigenous women's epidemic. Mm. Um, so that is a huge driving force, you know, taking her with me every step of the way. And although justice has not been served through the justice system or through the law, like still fighting for that every day and making people aware of what's going on in Indian country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so y'all ready for the rapid fire? Okay. <laughs> I've right. got five sentence stems that again, I say them and you say whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind and that'll be how we wrap it up. Oh, <laughs> It's all good. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. You'll love it. <laughs> all right. So the first one is sexiness is. Whatever I want it to be. Mm, powerful. Amen. All right. Powerful. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. See how easy that is. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. <laughs> the sexiest thing about my folks, my people, where I come from is. I don't know, like our swagger, I guess. Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking about the way we carry ourselves. And, you know, I like that. Okay. <laughs> Gabrielle, what you think? But, uh, honestly, the first thing I thought about was strength. And I don't like that answer because I don't, well, don't want to have to always be strong and resilient. But that's exactly mm. what I thought about. Uh-huh. 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 I, I, and I'm wondering if there's a way to reframe that to think about the strength of resilience, mm. right? Being able to bend and being able to withstand I mean which it has some problematics even in in and of itself but you know I'm thinking of the capacity to just be able to like bend and how that can be strong but I get that I love the complexity in that um my go-to for feeling sexy is lingerie Laundry. Not no laundry (laughs) oh lingerie oh wait a minute now now. that's a new one feeling sexy is oh i think it's touch like i like to touch my skin oh yes yeah, so are touch. you like a bath and you know that kind of person to get in the nice sheets and rub up under them 
oh yeah, like you know, freshly shaved legs on the on the fresh sheets. Oof. Yes, 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 yes. I don't have to shave. I I don't grow any hair, but I do like the sheet action. Woo, that feels good. Okay, so um, you know, I usually tailor this around Black folks. So Gabrielle, answer this how you feel authentically. If you want to shift it to just Native folks or talk about Black and Native, it's up to you. But the original prompt is: sexual freedom for Black folk is achieved when when we give ourselves the space to be vulnerable and explore our sexuality. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think that was it. That that was it. <laughs> I love that. Do you feel like there's a difference in terms of black native folks versus black folk? Mm-hmm. You mean with like the given that space mm-hmm. or just the, the pursuit of sexual freedom? Um, I feel like I feel like black people's sexuality is policed more maybe than native. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking more so in the aspect of just going back to the ex- exoticism and how mm-hmm. native women are treated. Mm hmm. So maybe the freedoms achieved when we stop exotifying. uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's start there. Stop treating me like I belong in a museum. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When I'm done being on this podcast, I will. Go back to work. (laughs) Ain't that it? I'm still on the clock. I'm like, eat some lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Go to class. Like, we're not gonna tell class. nobody, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta meet it with a student in like yeah. forty-five minutes, yeah. so we're not yeah. gonna tell it's nobody. All right. It's all right. <laughs> so yeah, I got going. class in forty-five minutes. Oh man, y'all! Thank you so much for taking your time out for me. This was a very, very edifying conversation, and I'm pleased to know both of you all to be working with y'all. I cannot wait for us to. I don't know. I said we're gonna make a mixtape. <laughs> it's gonna be the the sex ed researcher mixtape volume whatever i don't know it's gonna be dope um let folks know where folks can find y'all how they can hire you like what type of work you all you know all whatever you want folks to know please let folks know yeah so you can find us on instagram and facebook at the minority sex report you can also go to our website at the minority sex report.com we do a lot of consultation work as well as training of trainers so we always train youth service organizations providing information about sex positive uh, sexuality education as well as um, addressing historical trauma of black and native women and how that um, impacts adolescent sexual health so go to our website to figure out how to hire us from there awesome 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 do y'all want to share any other because i know Shmiggy, you do like stuff on your page. I know, Gabrielle, you might be like, listen, yeah. I'm a student. I ain't got time to be putting out content. But if you want to share it, I'm just keeping it separate. So okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank y'all again so much for being on here. I know you've given the listeners a wealth of information. And I thank all of you for listening. Um, definitely share your your bites that you've shared, that you've learned with us at the podcast. Tweet about it. IG about it, all of those good things. And in the meantime, we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB the podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. 
To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to tsobpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at tsobpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.